This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Deadly Faith Podcast. Hey, heathens, I'm Lacey. And I'm Lola. And if you're deconstructing, deconstructed, deconverted, dealing with religious trauma, or love true crime, hell, maybe it's all of the above, then you need to subscribe to Deadly Faith. On this podcast, we explore the world where religion and crime collide. Maybe someone takes their religious beliefs a tad too far. Maybe someone is hiding their evil behind their man or woman of God persona. Maybe they started a cult, committed murder, or even believe that they are the second coming of Jesus Christ himself. Now, this isn't a world full of sunshine and rainbows, but it's a world that needs to be explored. So get ready for some deep dives, hard truths, and even some comedic relief as we tell these heartbreaking true crime stories. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, well, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality and working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. We're here to call out religious BS, look for better ways forward, and help you realize that you're not crazy. This religious stuff is completely nuts. You can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of sarcasm and also a bit of this. Then welcome home. We're glad you're here. This broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com and wherever else you listen to podcasts. We're here. We're there. We're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. Welcome again to Snarky Faith. I hope your week is treating you well. Mine, a little crazy so far. <laughs> a little crazy so far. And all I'll tell you guys about this is, I, I'll talk more about this in the coming weeks, but all I'll hint around with saying is, it's kind of really fun when you call out toxic situations, and then toxic situations call back to you. <laughs> Christianity, you're the toxic gift that just keeps on giving. But that's all I'll say for now. Otherwise, if you want to check out some of the craziness that's happening, you should go over to patheos.com and begin to read the blog I'm writing over there that is getting a little pushback. It's getting a little pushback, which is the point. It's the point of it all. So go over to patheos.com if you want to and check out Snarky Faith. Now, hopping into the show, giving you a little preview of where we are going and what is going to be going down here in this show. Uh, we're going to be sitting down for the latter part of our show with Carl and Laura Forehand and talk about their new book, Leaning Forward. But before we get to that, we're going to talk a little about the news. And of course, we've got to get through the Christian crazy. So is everybody on board? Oh, you feeling ready? Yep, yep, yep. Because I feel like now's the time to descend into the news of the week. 
in the news. Tonight, a congregation gathered to pray away the devil after a statue of death was found at the Community of Faith Church. Maria Aguilera was at the impromptu service this evening. And Maria, what do they think happened here? Cheryl, no, unfortunately, church members tell us they wish they knew who did this, but they wasted no time coming together to pray over and destroy the statue found here today. Church members singing praises, setting fire to what's left of an object placed on church grounds, saying it's demonic. It's disheartening. Uh, it, it, it is sad to think that people would do something like that. This is sacrilegious. This is holy ground. This is our church. The object? A small statue placed in a gazebo outside Community of Faith Church in Acres Homes on Sunday, a day of worship for the church. It's a statue that announces curses, uh, the curse of death, uh, the grim reaper uh, with the sickle. I'm sorry. I'm sorry here. And, and the reason I brought this up, because I kind of feel like organized religion is ridiculous. And in particular, I know that we like to roast things within Christianity today, uh, not the magazine, though that's always roastable, but no, the things that are happening, and this, this, this. So if we were to unpack the story of what's happening here that's caused this huge kerfuffle, oh no, the Lord, what will he do? God's hand will not be on our church because there's an accursed little tiny, tiny, tiny statue that was left in a gazebo on the grounds of the church. I mean, come on. This is my problem with this. This is, this is a huge issue within Christianity because the funny thing is Christianity will oftentimes call out other faiths right? They'll call out people that are superstitious and call out all this other kind of stuff being like, all you need to do is lean on Jesus, right? Right? Okay. Okay. So if you're naturally leaning on Jesus, let's think a bit here. Somebody left a weird little statue in your gazebo. My first guest, teenagers, because teenagers and then secondly, we need to have an impromptu service to smash it and burn it because it brings curses. I always find it funny. I, I, I've always found this funny when Christians will be like, oh, oh, I don't need, I'm not superstitious because I trust in the Lord. What is this? You have grown humans out here praying against a smashed statue. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean when you sing those songs about how great, how big, how awesome is our God? Except he's going to get derailed by a tiny little figurine. And the only way to defend God, and also vicariously us, because apparently God's hands are tied, and reasons, uh, the only answer is to pray and smash and burn a small item. I mean, come on. This is like a precious moments issue. I know many of you back from your Christian past would probably like to smash a few precious moments dolls, but really? Like, really? Oh, no! Oh, no! All that we're doing here, all that we're doing here at this church, it won't survive! How will it survive? How can we go on? What's happening? What's bringing these curses? Oh, it's good we found. 
it's good we found the gazebo devil. Because, mmm, thanks, Holy Spirit. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That's my issue. This is just stupid. It's crazy. It's paranoid. And again, as you've heard me say many times on the show, ain't got nothing to do with Jesus. Now, if you thought that's crazy, let's go ahead and hop in on the Christian crazy. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. That's right. This is the Christian crazy brought to you only by Snarky Faith. The choicest cuts of Christian nuts. The best of the worst within Christianity. So a lot of what we try to do in these segments, episode after episode, is, is to point out the ridiculousness, the hypocrisy. But guess what? Someone's actually already done it for us. If you don't follow The Good Liars, I know, what a name. If you don't follow The Good Liars over on Twitter, or I'm sorry, X, you really should. Because I love what they do. They go and talk to Trump supporters and ask them probing questions that they can't answer like this in regards to abortion we need to abolish abortion no exceptions so this says before i formed you in the womb i knew you and that and that's from the bible yeah from jeremiah 1 right so god knows these babies in the womb he has a purpose and a destiny for each child they shouldn't be killed didn't he kill all the firstborn sons in egypt i think i'm done See, I love this. I love this. I, I, you really have to celebrate such conviction that's not really based on much of anything. Something that's like paper thin here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how a lot of these things go. Now, that's how a lot of these things go. I love the work those guys are doing because it's hilarious. Now, let's go ahead and do a bit of our own feelings on... The good liars, maybe, in the pulpit. Oh, nobody gets better than this. Except, except this is a little weird. I'm going to tell you this. This is a little weird. Now, let me set this next clip up. We're going to be talking about Jim Baker. You know, that Jim Baker. You know, grifter, crook, Jim Baker, scandal Jim Baker. That guy that somehow still has a TV show even after all of the things he's done. Now, Jim, Jim has a prophetic word for the future. And he's upset about it. He's worried about it. But it got me wondering, maybe God is giving Jim a word here, except it's about himself. Why do you think judgment's coming? Because we have cursed God. We have mocked God. God is not mocked. No. Whatever a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. And God is going to judge America. Oh, my gosh. Jim gets it. Jim totally gets it. He doesn't get it at all. He doesn't get it at all here, too. Uh, I love doing those ideas, too. When we think about like dudes like this, I'll be like, the Lord is saying this about you and not me. But, you know, you know. Every once in a while, every once in a while, a blind guy can hit a fish in a barrel. And I feel like Jim has done it here. It's beautiful. Jim has realized his sins. Jim has realized that he has mocked God with everything he's done in ministry. Oh, no, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. No, he hasn't. But 
But fear not. But fear not, Christians. Okay? Fear not out there. Because we've got our next Christian crazy folk up here. That's right. It's prophetess Kat Kerr. And Kat is going to tell you, Kat's going to tell you about how the devil is so tricky. Got to watch out. Yes, the spirits. If a spirit shows up to you in your room and it says, you come with me, you say to that spirit, are you the spirit of the most high God who sent his son to die for the sins of this world? And it even says to test them. It says it right in the word to do that. Yeah, if they show, up, show up to you. It, it does say that. And sometimes I still do that. And the father is quite pleased that I actually still test him. And he will, of course, say, of course, it is I. That's what he says. And I want news, news for you. The devil can't lie. The devil cannot say it's him, and it's not. So that was made as a safety measure for all people to know of a surety that it was God speaking or God asking them to well, go. That's also interesting that you said that because, again, another thing that I hadn't processed before, but he can't lie with that. Or it wouldn't be a test at all. If he could lie, then it, how could it be a test? But God... Right. Ah, so Cat Care here is, what, hacking the system? She's figured out God, that God likes to appear to her as something, and she's like, are you really God? And God's like, tee-hee-hee, it's really me, Cat. She's like, I knew it! Because, you know, the devil cannot lie. Issue, issue with that slightly, again... And again, I'm not necessarily going down any kind of theological trail here with this, but I will offer to the idea that uh, John 8:44, Jesus refers to the devil as the father of lies. So, again, this is a ridiculous statement that she's making here. This is an idiotic assertion that she's making here. And it doesn't even hold up theologically at all, right? Right? The father of lies can't lie. That's what God set up. I mean, what are we playing Uno here? Like, you know, oh, but when you have the Lord, you're the one with the trump card in this. Uh-huh. Except for if I was really God and telling you the truth, you'd know that there's not a trump card. In Uno. Boom! My mind just exploded all over the place. That's right. I don't even know why I've gone this far into this, <laughs> this, am this amount of asinine rambling. Maybe it was my asinine rambling. Maybe it was Cat Cares, but I don't know. This is just stupid. This is just plainly stupid. And it's sad that I even have to bring theology into these abjectly moronic statements. But again, that's cat care for you. And also, we're in the Christian crazy portion of the show, so <laughs> none of this is going to make any sense in reality. Like our next clip that we're going to get to here. Who could it be? Who, who, who? Could it be? Oh, it's Greg Locke talking about Satan, demons during a sermon, which I could give a pass for in many religious circles. But no, this is a sermon rant on none other than 
I mean, we remember this from the book of Revelation. The Illuminati. You know what's interesting? That the Illuminati's main symbol is an owl. A creature of the night. Now, I'm not telling you that owls are demons. I am telling you that Lilith many times will come in the form of an owl. I will tell you that. Because it's a creature of the night that is a representation of demonic powers in the Old Testament. And is a representation of demonic powers against all of the tyrannical people that we call out on the left right now. They celebrate the owl god. First of all, I would like to go ahead and address this right now. Like, right now. I mean, he's calling out with me, right? Uh, someone on the left and this what owl god that we serve? I mean, this is ridiculous. It's not like I could somehow call out the owl god and he would appear. No, no, no. But let's try this. Just for instance, our god, god that I worship of ourness, appear. See, nothing. Oh, shit, never mind. We really need to move on from this segment here. This has gone into a wrong place. So I've been exposed as an owl worshiper. No, no. So what I like also, which we've already done this far, so it's really interesting. So it, did anyone ever ask in your own minds? Did anyone ever say, wow, wow, maybe Greg Locke has a point. Like, what are the scriptural references to owls in the Old Testament? Well, let's kind of do it here. You want to? You want to? Who should we talk about? Let's talk about owls. Okay, so we've got essentially like Leviticus 11, 16 through 18, and Deuteronomy 14, 15, uh, 14, 15 through 17. You know what it's about? It's about how owls are so freaking evil. No, it's actually about how you're not supposed to eat owls. There we have it. Don't eat owls. The Illuminati already got to the Old Testament. Oh, no. The Old Testament is essentially telling you to preserve these demonic entities. Oh, who, who, who will ever save us? I'm not really sure. All right, continuing on. Owls are also mentioned in Isaiah 13, 21 through 22. You know what's happening here? Oh, it's a prophecy about the fall of Babylon. And these creatures would inhabit the ruins. Okay. Cool. Then we get to Micah, Micah 1.8, right? Micah, in this, in this context, Micah mourns the sinful people and says that he will wail and howl. I will go stripped and naked. I will make a wailing like the jackals and a mourning like the ostriches or owls during this interpretation. So what is Micah in the uh, Illuminati here? He's making a call out to the owls. Yeah, yeah. You want to know the other, only other mention of owls in the Old Testament? Yeah, yeah. There's really not that many. We got Psalms. Psalms 102.6. Context. Psalmist is upset and lamenting about his condition. And what does he do? He compares himself to an owl. I'm in a bad situation. I feel like an owl. 
what are these like the emo kids of the Bible now? Again, how does Greg Locke get here? Answer, it doesn't even matter. Because Greg Locke is just shoveling shit. But mentioning shoveling shit, no one does it finer. No one does it finer than Jesse Duplantis, who's essentially like, what, Kenneth Copeland's little, like, millionaire toady? Yeah. Yeah. Get ready for this. Because you never knew that if you're in ministry and called as a pastor, God is your sugar daddy. Well, well, well. When you find vision, you find duties and opportunities. I thought I could save the world with $100 million. So I went to the throne of God. He said, what do you want, Jesse? He didn't ask me what I need. He's never asked me what I need. He's never said, what you need? Never. In my whole Christian life. He says, what do you want? I said, Lord, I need $100 million. Oh, well, let's just go ahead and pause it right here because let's think about this. So God doesn't want us to come to them in prayer and ask for things. We're supposed to come to God in prayer and say what we need. My seminary degree has been an entire waste. I didn't realize what we really had was the God of the scratch tickets. Come on, come on, Lord, give it to me. I need me a million dollars. I need me a hundred million dollars. God's like, baby, I'll give it to you. I said, I can touch the world for a hundred million dollars. He said, done. Gave me a hundred million dollars. Now, if you want to get Wall Street's attention, you got to get to the hundred million. They ain't thinking about anything else. You hit that hundred million mark, now you're getting, those, you're getting people's attention. Well, I ran out of money. So I went back to the throne. I said, Jesus, he said, you need another hundred million? I said, yeah. He gave me another hundred million. I thought, I'm ready, Jesus. Woo! I'm ready too, Jesus. I don't know who Jesus is, but <laughs> the idea that I love this, that the Lord's like, Jesse, what do you need? A hundred million? That's how I'm going to reach the world and touch them. Not creepy at all. And then a hundred million goes away. And then Jesse Duplantis is like, Lord, what? I need more. This kind of feels like a parable, right? Right? Is it a parable? Got back a year and a half later. I said, <laughs> he, he said, you need a hundred million. Another hundred. I said, yes, sir. Gave it to me. Morgan, he gave it. That's $300 million. I was out of money in nine months on that one. I'm standing there. <laughs> he just leaned over and said, give him another hundred million. I went five times. That's a half billion dollars. Gave it to me. So if this isn't like a parable or some way for us to learn anything from here, because Jesse Duplantis is essentially saying, God is terrible with money, right? <laughs> I mean, what is he, an addict? What is he going through this money this fast? But you know, as any grifter pastor would tell you, uh, you don't have to understand it. God's ways aren't our ways. 
but you should donate to us because the Lord doesn't really give us money. <laughs> Suckers. Yeah, but before I let you guys off the hook, on to the good stuff, right? Uh-huh. Carl and Laura forehand, new book leaning forward. That conversation, I've, this is the time that you have to take your medicine, right? We've got to do this because it's healthy, or really just because you're stuck listening to this on podcast, but I'm going to give you none other than the Christian cringiest thing of the week and the Christian cringe. And it's all about the Lord's <laughs> and Chick-fil-A. Oh, if you've never asked yourself, how does cooking a Chick-fil-A sandwich explain all of theology and understanding the Lord and, you know, humanity, Bible, scripture, all that kind of stuff? Well, the easiest answer for this pastor is, don't ask questions. Chick-fil-A! don't understand how I can take a dirty bird and I can rip its feathers off and I can batter it in beautiful sauce on both sides, throw it down in peanut oil that's boiling at 325 degrees, put it under six minutes of high test pressure and bring out a beautiful Chick-fil-A sandwich. But just because I do not understand it doesn't mean I'm not going to partake in it. Honey, tonight I don't understand how God became man and I don't understand how man can go meet God. But Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no man will come to the Father but by me. Oh, the Father but me. I love it. I love it. Like, again, Scripture makes way more sense if you can kind of give it the, uh, the delivery, the accurate historical contextual delivery. Because that's, you know, how things usually worked back then, but uh, I don't want to freak you guys out because we may not understand everything in Scripture, but, you know, Chick-fil-A. But this pastor, this pastor mentioned throwing a dirty bird into some peanut oil at the beginning, and if we've learned anything from this episode, a dirty bird is only... Oh my God, you've heard it here first. Chick-fil-A is not serving chickens. Chickens apparently are okay in the Old Testament, but apparently because of this dude, because of this dude, dirty birds, we realize this, dirty birds equal owls, owls equal Illuminati, Illuminati equals Satan. This is a big issue here. I'm going to have to like really, really, really work hard now. Like, really spend some time in meditation, contemplation, in, in the word. I, I need to really kind of figure out, figure out where my spirituality lies within fast food circles. Because as what we have learned here from pastors, congregations, and religious circles, that ba da 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 I'm loving it. (laughs) 
So that's actually all the Christian crazy. I want to go ahead and give a shout out to the friendly atheist, uh, Christian Nightmares, and Right Wing Watch, because you dudes, you dudes do good work. They do the work of the Lord, even though they, they may not think they're doing the work of the Lord, but maybe also they should say, hey, Lord, I need $100 million. Yeah, that's nonsense. But you know what's not nonsense? My conversation with Carl and Laura beforehand about their book that's out right now. We did this a little while back. So without further ado, enjoy. Joining me today is Carl and Laura Forehand. Carl has written titles such as The Diner, Hotel, Being, The Tea Shop, and more. And both Carl and Laura wrote the wonderful book, Out into the Desert, and have now written a follow-up called Leaning Forward. We, they've been on the show before, and I love them coming mm-hmm. back again. So welcome, guys. How are you doing? Great. Thank you for yeah. having us. You're, the green screen behind you worries me. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It may not even be me. Uh, that's your yeah. <laughs> now, now, Carl, can you give us a bit of an update, too? Because I remember last time we had you on the show, you were talking about your recovery um, after your stroke and stuff, too. And so for those that follow a bit, can you give us a, an update? Yeah, just in general, that uh, about 18 months ago, I had a stroke, um, probably while I was on the assembly line, putting together mo- um, lawnmower mm-hmm. engines, whatever I was doing. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> so I've been recovering for about a year. All of last year, we went through a, a long uh, professional rehabilitation mm-hmm. kind of thing that made great progress. Then I, from there, I went to do some independent therapy at a place. Then now I'm doing it on my own because there's no insurance or anything like that. And it's ridiculously expensive. Mm. (laughs) So, um, but I've been, it continues to progress and get better. You know, I never had any problems with my speech or cognitive stuff other than the issues I already had with <laughs> that kind of, um, but you know, little by little it's getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, try to just keep a work schedule. I'm, I've been able to write a lot. We published two books the year that I was in recovery. And then this is our second book this year. So yeah, it's going, I think it's going good. It, it's, it's a lot of, there's a lot of mental stuff to mm-hmm. it. Also it's discouraging. Some days you just kind of want to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, or I get really frustrated. So I'm trying to do shadow work and stuff like that, that, you know, lets me know why, why you're really getting frustrated, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to work on that as well. So, but making progress, moving forward and I'm enjoying the writing and focusing on the books and so on. So, well, I will just say, I love you too, as a writing team. Um, and in this book, it, it for me, it just felt very like it was like a holistic and deeply personal approach mm-hmm. to what to what you guys were writing um, in the book. And uh, I just uh, my first thought, too, because I think that, that you go into a lot of deep stuff. You go into a lot of your journey. You go into a lot of the pain that you've been through um, when thinking about putting this book together. Uh, what what led you guys to write? leaning forward 
I'm going to let you answer that one because okay. it was your brainchild. So and I, I say this all the time that I'm, I'm the reluctant writer of the two of us. So <laughs> uh, I, it takes me, it just takes me a lot longer to kind of sit down and, and write. And this probably has something to do with vulnerability. I'm sure mm -hmm. if I, dove into that a little bit more, I would figure out why it takes me so long. But anyway, the leaning forward comes from, from you. Yeah. So leaning forward is an idea we've been playing around with for a few years. We did a few um, conferences, online conferences where we had people speak and just talk about the future kind of, but leaning forward is an idea that came from my childhood when I don't know if you remember, I'm, I'm really not sure how old you are, whether you're 19 or whether you're 42. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm plenty old. I'm 45. All right. So uh, back in back in my day, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, we lived lived in Oklahoma. We lived kind of in a suburb, and and parents would just turn you out. Is that a phrase in North Carolina or wherever you are? Um, yeah. They would just turn us out, and we'd go play. And I went to a private school, private Christian fundamentalist school, but we didn't have any playground equipment. But so we couldn't go there, but we would just follow this drainage just kind of a cement drainage ditch, and we'd just follow wherever it went. And there's stories in one of my other books about where we got in trouble with that. But what we would do is just we'd just look forward and say, say, what's that over there? So we got to the end of this drainage ditch, went out, went onto this playground for a public elementary school, and they had a big geodome. I don't know if you remember those. <clears throat> where you could hang on it and climb yeah, on it yeah. and all that stuff. But then you could also, if you were brave enough, you could stand on it. And so we stood on that geodome. We looked out in a field. We saw a tractor. We went and investigated the tractor, you know, and from there uh, we saw this grove of trees. When we investigated that. We found there was a pond beneath it that was so murky. I, I don't, I wouldn't go in it today, but we were doing backflips out of the trees into that pond. And then later we found a stream with crawdads in it and things like that. And, I, you know, that was just our mode. It was, it was how, how we approached life is we were, we were saying, what's that over there and, and leaning forward to see what's next. Mm. And so I hope, you know, in deconstruction and all this world that we're in, the, the book's origin is kind of complicated, but that's the idea behind all of it is not to prove a doctrine or get people to agree with us, but just to kind of join us on that journey of leaning forward and looking towards the future, saying what's next or what makes sense or how do we heal? Um, you know, how, if, if we are to keep religion or change religion or whatever, then then what are the next steps and, and what does it look like mm -hmm. instead of just defending where we are? I mean, I think that's most of why we're in the trouble we are in is just because we, we think we have to defend this position that somebody maybe handed to us or we inherited um, from those that were in our neighborhood. Um, does that make sense at all? Oh. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does. Now, you, it, what's interesting too, and and I, I like in the past in the past book and in this book how you guys both balance out kind of your experiences and and your insight into your process of deconstruction. I want to ask 
because I get you get bits of this in the book, but how was it like to deconstruct together as a couple? Because I think, you know, a lot of people do this, like it'll be solo and then there's trouble. But I, you guys have wrestled through this together, which is a beautiful thing. But it may not always feel beautiful <laughs> when you're going through it. May not always feel like that. That's true. <laughs> it's not the adjective I would pick, too. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I get what you're saying. Um, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, now that we've come this far in our deconstruction journey, um, I kind of have a tendency to look back. And so... I like to say, and this may or may not be true, but I like to say that I was probably the first one that started deconstructing, although I did it very quietly because we were still in the church. So, you know, you can't, and, and if your husband's a pastor, you probably can't, you know, uh, bring your questions and concerns Um, And there was that part of me that was also worried that, you know, I would be the end of his ministry. Um, So, but I don't know, you know, maybe Carl was also questioning at that point too. But so that, I would say that part of it for me though was really lonely because I didn't feel like we were both deconstructing at the same time. Now, when we left um, organized religion, you know, that's when we were able to really start having some honest conversations about kind of where we each were individually. And we're not always in the same place. There are some times that we agree with each other, but there's, there are some really big things that, you know, I'm not really sure about. And um, Carl might be more sure about those things than I am. Um, Although I will say that he's, to me, doesn't seem like he's as certain as he was. So he's not as dogmatic and, you know, trying to defend, trying to defend (laughs) um, those, (laughs) gosh, (laughs) trying to defend those things. But um, so in that way, it's, it's been like where we are now in our journey, it's, it's good because I think we give each other the space that we need to, you know, deconstruct what we need to deconstruct, peel back what we need to peel back. And even if it's not the same, we're not in the same place. We, you know, I feel like we've, we've learned to give each other the space that the other person needs in order to wrestle with whatever they're wrestling with. I feel like that's been the same for me and my wife. A lot of that too has been, there would be times where I feel feel like something was just bothering her and her soul about stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I've kind of learned to recognize, oh, she's probably just ahead of me right now. And that really hasn't mm-hmm. hit me yet. And kind of vice versa as you go through stuff. And, you know, and, oh, go ahead. No, it, but it feels like, especially in, with a couple, I mean, when you're doing this, it's, it's, I guess it's learning what to hold on to or what to hold on to tightly and mm-hmm. what to hold on to very loosely in the process. Mm-hmm. Would you guys, how, how do you feel about that? Well, I was going to say, I just have learned to use the phrase, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see Laura, Laura asked me a question. And as a pastor, you know, I was geared to to get an answer, mm-hmm. right? And so I would try to explain it to her. But now I've learned to say, you know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I can see her kind of relax when I say that, you know, and it's, it's, it's allowed me to relax too. And the other thing is, we're exploring all kinds of things right now. We're in a class called an intermedicine class. 
the teacher, the the leader of that is very serious about it. Very, very mm-hmm. you know, um, it's it's her thing. Yeah, you yeah. know, and it's, she's developed this and so on. Very informative, very helpful. But we realize, you know, about halfway through, we've got to treat this like like it's something we're investigating instead mm-hmm. of that we're looking for the answer mm. because what we tend to do is, is draw a circle mm-hmm. around stuff and say, we're here, we got it. This is it. And now I can go teach this. And then that's when we stop learning. It's when we stop growing and it's when we start defending what we're doing. So if, if we can, if we can force ourselves to stay open mm. and just like the, the nun told me, none of us is right realize none of us is right Mm -hmm. and then um, we can go forward not with certainty but with anticipation with with um, wonder Mm -hmm. you know and excitement sometimes about the things we find and so not only is that true about me and you or me and that other group or me and that group but also between ourselves and to just say you know, I don't know that I don't know the answer. Maybe we're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's coming to us. Maybe we'll see it next week. Yeah. Or um, maybe not. Or maybe not. <laughs> I know, but wouldn't it come on, Carl? I've got to push back. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we could just arrive and be wherever? Because <laughs> we, yeah, we it, it's a human thing. Because, yeah. gosh, because sometimes, I mean, I felt that where. It, I feel like deconstructing is I go through different seasons of stuff. You know, there's seasons where I have to go deep into myself um, and junk. I've dealt with trauma and other stuff. And sometimes you just want to get to a place where you're like, aren't we done? Aren't we finished? Haven't we learned it all? Don't yeah. I get to teach a seminar and sell books on how to arrive and everything else? But yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, but I love it. You, you guys are both absolutely right. I, I feel like it's, it's learning to live with the questions. I think pastors are the worst at that. Just mm-hmm. because I was one, you know, we're, we're the worst at, you know, and I see it out in the desert. I see lots of lots of pastors do this, though. They'll, they'll have a few breakthroughs, have a, some healing, and then now they're ready to teach mm-hmm. and and run something and, you know, and those kind of things. But maybe they didn't even address their mental health. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they didn't do any very much self-care at all. You know, they just made a little progress and all of a sudden they want to teach it to others. And I know that because that mm-hmm. I feel that deep inside mm-hmm. me. That's yeah. my yearning, you know, is to mm-hmm. share it. Uh, well, it's going back to the safety of what we know. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's ba- you're basically taking what you you had done for 20 plus years and just finding a new, you know. New curriculum, so to speak. <laughs> use teacher language uh-huh. of finding a new curriculum but you know yeah it winds up being the same thing just you know a different, different curriculum package. Yeah, yeah different package yeah. right now a lot of what you guys talk about um in the book or you're you kind of go to old things that we've been raised with within the church and kind of reframe them as well um and i want to give like give the listeners a bit of a taste of this because i know you talk about your changing views on different things but one of them i really enjoyed because i feel like i've i've wrestled with this one was your changing views of worship mm. so i want you both to speak about that how you've seen like how worship has evolved and changed for you 
I'm going to let you start with okay. that. Cause I mean, I feel like you have a lot to say about that Yeah, and, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll chime in. So it probably began when in out into the desert, when we talked about addiction to church and, and just to realize my friend the other day was talking about, um, um, hypnotized, being hypnotized. Mm-hmm. And he said, um, well, what is worship music? You know? And he said, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's hypnotic. And then once once you're hypnotized, you can be um, you can have post hypnotic suggestions from the pastor, and that's mm. that's kind of how it works. So that kind of got me got me thinking about worship and, and just wondering, you know, as much work as Jesus did um, was saying, you know, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Uh, he said, you're not going to worship in a place anymore. You're any any just kind of condemned all the sacrificial systems and things that they were doing in the first century. And so I wondered whether worship was something we really should be doing, or is it something that we invented? So uh, my thought process was, and, and a lot of things for me go back to a father. My very first book was what fatherhood taught me about God. And so when I looked at it that way, my son, my children, for a certain amount of time, needed me greatly. I could do things for them. I could give. I could uh, give them money. Mm-hmm. I could provide them medicine. I could help them to a certain extent. I could get them out of trouble again to a certain extent. <laughs> but I didn't want them to be worship. I didn't want them to worship me. I wanted them to say thank you. Um, I wanted them to start learning to do it for themselves and things like that. Um, but I didn't want them to worship me. And I certainly, did, certainly didn't want them to worship me all the time. Mm-hmm. And that, because if, if I needed that, first of all, I'd be narcissistic, which is not a good quality. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would also be um, really a bad father to demand that. It would make me a worse father than I was before. If I said I need you to worship me, and and why would a superior being need that? Mm-hmm. And some people say, well, God doesn't need it; we need it. I said, well, maybe. I mean, I, I I get that, and we can talk about that. And none of this, the the doc, uh, doctrinal issues in this book, the few that we dived into, <laughs> are certainly not things I'm dogmatic about. It. I just wanted to to toss that around. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I was going to say the, I was writing notes while you were talking. So, um, but that's exactly. should be. (laughs) Write down my wisdom. (laughs) Um, We're kidding. (laughs) But that was, you know, that was my whole thing too, is like, you know, this is, you know, God is supposed to be like supreme being. Why does he need our worship? Um, again, I wrote down the word narcissist, you know, because that makes me think that God is incredibly needy. Um, this is, you know, so it's very contradictory to me. Um, this all powerful being that was incredibly needy and needed me to like worship, but not only that, you know, needed me to do it in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was always that question of, am I doing it right? Am I doing it enough? Um, those questions were never answered. And they, they literally, for me, 
went round and round and just caused me to like really spiral down into this um, really just not a good place um, because it, I just felt like there's absolutely no way that I'm going to be able to, um, you know, worship God, this all supreme being the way I'm supposed to. And yet no one's telling me how to do it. Or if they do, then, you know, this Sunday we're supposed to worship this way or in this church, we're supposed to worship this way. And in this church, we're supposed to do it this way, or this Sunday, we're supposed to do it this way. So, um, I'm a rule follower. Um, I'm learning to be a little more relaxed with that when, when I need to, but like, if you need me to do something, I'll do it. But when you change it, or I don't know, you know, I don't know what is the right way. And I'm using air quotes. What's the right way to do something. Then that really causes me to have a lot of anxiety, a lot of anxiety. So, um, yeah, I, I could never like make it make sense to me. The whole idea of worship, I could never make it make sense. Okay. I think my conclusion was more, more along the lines of there's a better word. And that word to me is communion. Mm-hmm. Just being, yeah, mm-hmm. just being because, um, people talk to me as when I was a pastor, you know, the second thing they would say after, you know, if we're, well, if we're talking about worship, they would say, you know, it was outside, you know, it was when I was in my garden that I really felt close to God. Um, it was when I was on a nature trip or a hike, or maybe just driving my car by myself where everything else was tuned out. You know, people pick their nose while they're driving the car because they think they're invincible there. <laughs> But they all, but you also feel isolated mm-hmm. when you're far from the rest of the world. And and when they were there, and I think solitude, being alone, being by yourself, mm-hmm. all those things. For me, it's like uh, whenever I am just in a state of stillness, holding my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And, and I know, like I talk about that in the first book with our granddaughter, Holland, when I first held her for the very first time, like she wasn't even a day old, but that still happens for me. No, mm-hmm. You know, if we're just having a moment where I'm reading a book or we're just sitting quietly, like that's when I feel some type of divine connectedness or presence, if that makes sense. When we're talking about the word communion or connection. Um, the thing about it is there's no variability in that. You mm-hmm. can't be closer than connected. Mm-hmm. If, if you're connected, you know, and people like Rob Bell write about maybe everything is connected. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just sitting in that connectedness. Mm-hmm. And that's what she does with our grandchildren really well is, is connection. That's way better than I got to find a way to grovel so I'll earn acceptance I think that's ancient, mm. ancient tribal thinking from mm-hmm. a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, and we're and still no, talking. it's very true. And the and like even if especially with you guys have uh, you've been around churches enough, some of the ugliest conversations I've ever seen in church meetings were over like things like we need more hymns, hymns versus you know contemporary songs and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and it always struck me of going like. None of this has anything to do with worshiping God because how nasty people get in simple yeah. conversations about, well, I don't, our ratio has been off in this church. We've had too many of these kind of songs and not enough of these kind of songs. Mm-hmm. And it just yeah. smacks you in the face going like, wait, I think you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think you're doing yeah. it all wrong. That is so true. 
worship is getting even you know hillsong um maybe maybe self-destructing i was going to say deconstruct they're self-destructing <laughs> yeah. but they've are they're like a virus they've already been implanted in the north american church mm -hmm. and it's a science and it's even getting more and more serious you know people are mm -hmm. recruiting people from west coast bands and things like that to get the right lighting the right music to get us into that hypnotic state and mm -hmm. i think you know that's a, that's causing people to be addicted to church it doesn't have anything to do with god um we don't want to call you know what's the chemical yeah, they don't confuse dopamine mm -hmm. with the spirit. <laughs> that's that's a really good point, too. <laughs> I think people wanting that, yeah. Oh, I feel it now. Because I've heard yeah. that, too, so many times after church services, too. Well, you know, I didn't feel it today. And then I would ask, what what, what did you need to feel? Like, like <laughs> if the idea is you are worshiping God, mm -hmm. like, if that's traditionally what we think we're doing here, what? why didn't you feel it? Which makes it seem more it's like coming, yeah, I'm doing this for myself. Um, yeah, and I love I love how you guys process these things and walk through them. And and in that same line, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick your brains again on this one. So, tell tell me about like your how your understanding of prayer has evolved throughout your journey as well. You talk about that in the book. Ooh, <laughs> prayer is a hard one for me. Yeah. Again, um, it goes back to you know just what's enough? Am I doing it right? Um, what ha you know, what does it mean if my prayers aren't answered? Do I not have enough faith? Again, it just takes me into this downward spiral that leaves me feeling very empty and alone. And, you know, and then there's just so many things about prayer that I question, you know, the things that we, we ask for, you know, when our youngest daughter was, um, I don't know, she was about three months old, she ended up in the hospital for two weeks with E. coli in her blood. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I just, I just remember like just so many sick babies. I mean, I still like remember babies crying, um, and, and their mamas couldn't be there because they had to work or whatever. I mean, little bitty babies, but you think about all these sick children that are in hospitals and some go home and some do not. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, you know, and then I'm praying for, you know, my car keys or that, you know, my car is going to start this morning and it does. And so what God has favor over that versus, you know, a child, um, you know, in the hospital or a, a baby that, that is stillborn. I mean, I just, it's so it doesn't make sense to me. Prayer doesn't make sense. And, and through our inner medicine, you know, um, journey, I've kind of looked at like prayer as more like, um, I've heard it compared to like magic or casting spells. And, and so take that for what you will, but it's just, it's, you know, I kind of see it more like that now than I do, um, that communion that Carl was talking about with God, you know, yeah. I, I would try, you know, it's kind of like with reading my Bible, all those things I would try so fervently to do while we were in church and I, I failed. And so, you know, then you, you just feel like 
you're just out of favor with, with God. There's just no way to re you know, to redeem this part of me back. Um, so I do not pray. Um, you know, I don't, I, I just don't have a good relationship with prayer. <laughs> um, the, for a lot of very personal reasons and some of which I talk about, you know, mm-hmm. in, in both of our books. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, I mean, that's, kinda, I really didn't answer your question. <laughs> you did, you did. You, you, you've, you've given me where you're at in your process with it and that's yeah, how you're processing yeah. it. And I think yeah. that's healthy too, because even what you were saying, like you would get to this place and I, I can think of so many times the answer was simply, you're not doing enough. Exactly. Right? You know, and, and it, it's just, it's this, it's this downward spiral to where, oh, it's not happening. Oh, I must need to do more or more is required of me or I'm not having enough faith. And it ends up this whole cycle that you, I think we can end up being very abusive to ourselves. Yes. That's a really good way to put it. And that, you know, that's my thing is like, we're expected to do so many of these things like worship and prayer or two of the, two of the examples that we've been talking about, but it's, it's just a word that's thrown out there. Right. I mean, I, I realize that in the Bible, you know, Jesus was like, you know, and when you pray, pray like this and he gives us the Lord's prayer. And I understand that, but you know, if, even if that is all I say, all I'm doing is reciting it. Am I like really like praying like I'm supposed to pray or am I just reciting some words? I mean, so I feel like there's a lot of things that are thrown at, or at least in my experience that were thrown at me, um, inside organized religion, but there was no explanation of what, you know, like I said, a rule follower, it's like, tell me, you know, you got to do this, this, and this, of course, then, you know, then you're kind of like a robot anyway, but yeah. So those things, it's like, I never knew worship prayer, never understood them totally. And so never knew if I was doing them right, doing them wrong, if I was doing them enough. I mean, even talking about it right now, it's like this, this sense of anxiety just wells up in me, you know, not in a, not in a terrible way like it used to, but because it's just, I felt like I, you just go in circles and it mm-hmm. didn't ever get me anywhere. So I did a we, lot of talking there. We went to prayer school during our, mm-hmm. um, during our, the early parts of our deconstruction mm-hmm. and we were, we were taught about well-crafted prayers. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you ever heard that term before, but some people, um, you know, advise that and it, it's just reciting um, prayers that someone else has written and I said in the book that's to me like copying a sermon or kissing your sister I mean it's it, that doesn't work for me at all but but what did work was a sort of an ancient practice of prayer called centering prayer um, where you don't say anything and you just are still and you let and it's it's a little bit like mindfulness which I also enjoy and I've just learned to be still. We went to a quietness retreat where we were taught to just be still for 20 minutes at a time. Yeah, yeah. Then we go to the bathroom and then we do it again. Um, it was real helpful mm-hmm. because I've met, I've met, you know, fully engaged pastors, modern age kind of pastors that admit they can't sit still for five, mm-hmm. five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that stillness is where we is where we find God. I think it's where we find the divine or whatever source or whatever you want to call that. Um, 
And so I would say that's more the way I pray these days. I think one way that I quit guilting myself or, you know, feeling terrible about myself for not worshiping, not praying, um, not reading my Bible, those kind of things is that if, you know, if, if God is who we say he, she, they are, then they know my heart already. They know, you know, and so sometimes my best prayers, if you want to use that, are in the times where I'm, I, I don't have words. I'm crying because I'm distraught about something. Like it's really in those times that I feel more of this peace that comes over me, um, if you will. So I don't know that there's really anything that we need to like do. If there's this list of things that we need to do in order to encounter the divine, I, I feel like we have just created this laundry list of things we have to do. And that totally, in my opinion, takes the focus off of what, you know, if there is a God out there, what they are, you know, there to do for, for us, with us, however you want to say it. Um, it's just in those times of stillness or those times of just, I don't know that I, that I feel that sense of peace more than when I'm praying some certain prayer. It, it is interesting how that we've kind of twisted prayer into so many different ways where it almost sounds like they're incantations or things like that. Like, we must do this at this time or yeah. in this exact way or it won't work, which mm -hmm. is, I mean, it, 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 it just kind of just seems ridiculous. Like you guys are mentioning, there's all these rules around stuff that we've just created. Mm -hmm. We've made something potentially simple, very complicated. And yes. Then loaded people with baggage. <laughs> Mm -hmm. to keep them away from it somehow. Well, I, think the, I think the same thing happens in witchcraft yep. and shamanism, mm -hmm. uh, Buddhism, mm -hmm. you know, all, all of those things suffer from this. Well, this is how you do it mm -hmm. now. Do it like this. Yeah, instead of just sharing, this is how I do it. This works for me. I think that helps me more than anything these days. Yeah. Well, you've talked about this too, Laura, and when I guess we started even talking about Carl, what Carl's been through at the beginning of the show, you were talking what what that this whole process of deconstruction has kind of also been a, a process of healing, uh -huh. like this this kind of path of healing. So I, I want, yeah, speak a little to that. Like, talk to me about your path, the path of healing and the importance of learning to trust yourself. Yeah, for sure. And that that was a hard thing for me to do learning to trust myself. And, and there are still some times where I don't, and I'm, I'm like starting to just unpack that. Um, and I, I think for me, like, I really thought that so much of it had to do with like just my time, um, in the church. Um, but it really does go back farther than that. Um, I just feel like maybe because of some of the things that, you know, I, dealt with as a child, it made me just kind of ripe for the pickings, if you will, to, to, um, have those things at church affect me the way that they did. 
Um, but I mean, for me, for, for true healing to be, to take place, I do have to go inside. I do have to, I mean, for me, it was, I, I, I had to get out of the church building. Even I had to get away from the, the organized part of religion, um, and just begin to trust myself. And I mean, that means for me that, you know, uh, I've done some therapy and I've done lots of work on, um, you know, trauma and being a little more trauma informed. It's involved some, you know, hypnotherapy and things like that. Things that, um, are just helping me to realize that I can trust that part of me that, you know, for whatever reason was told that I cannot. And, I, and like I said, when I think that that was a message that I got when I was younger. Um, and this is of no one's fault. Like I'm not blaming anyone. It's just, we all do, you know, we raised our kids the best that we know how. Did we mess up for sure? I mean, if they tell me one day that they're going to therapy because of something that happened when they were kids, I'm going to be like, probably should, probably should, <laughs> you know, cause we did, we made mistakes. And, um, but because of that, I just feel like, um, I, I just was a prime candidate for just all the, the baggage, like you said, the baggage that came in, um, in the form of organized religion. So, um, yeah, for me, sometimes I have to just step away from it all because I think that's, you know, super important is that you realize what is your inner knowing? What is, you know, can you trust that voice that's inside you that that's just been really important to me. And I keep peeling back. Like, I know we talked about this, but like, you know, it'd be nice if we were like, you know, okay, this is like, I figured it out, you know? <laughs> But I'm also like, which this is something I never thought I would say, but I'm also okay with like just continuing probably for the rest of my life, peeling back different layers and dealing with whatever I need to deal with. And maybe I never arrive at some like, um, but I feel like there's like steps along the way. Like I can, I can land here for a while and I can, I can heal this part of me. And then when I'm ready, you know, work on the next landing that I, that I reach. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. I've, I feel that very much. That's, I, I, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think it, it's interesting when you think about how, especially if we're taught is in churches, the idea that, that we're all trash and we're mm -hmm. all sinful and we're all that. And we're not good enough for God. I mean, mm -hmm. and you add that to kids, because I do too, like have issues with anxiety. That is, that's, I mean, this is, that, that's an anxiety playground that you've just mm -hmm. set up there for people. Right. Um, you know, you're already worried and you don't need to trust that thing on the inside because who knows? Is mm -hmm. it, is it the devil? Is it, you know, and we've been taught to almost betray ourselves. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, and not oh. trust ourselves, which you're right. There takes a lot of unlearning <laughs> to begin mm -hmm. to learn how to trust mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Mm. You waiting on me? Yeah, I'm waiting okay. on you. You're next. Mine, I think mine start. I I had to get to a point where I didn't have any choice. Mm. Um, 
uh, I wrote about it in the Being book, which, by the way, is still my favorite book. Um, it was released during the pandemic, so it may never get any traction. <laughs> but I, I think it's the best thing I've ever written because it's it's my real story of dealing with that. And I, I didn't have any other choice because I had stuffed things down for 20 years as a pastor and everything came out at the same time. And so I was literally debilitated by that, all of that stuff coming back up. And there wasn't any way to heal it except, except to go inside. And that was extremely almost traumatic to do that. Um, but that was the only place I could find healing. Oddly enough, where Jesus said the kingdom is, is within you, mm-hmm. entos in Greek. You know, it's inside you. Um, and by by far and away, the first section of the book is, is called Stories from the Desert. And it's about the 280 podcast episodes we've done. And by far, the thing people say the most uh, about how they're succeeding in the desert, how they've moved forward far and away. The two things they say the most is I learned to go inside and I learned to trust myself. Mm. And I couldn't while I was in church because they told me I couldn't trust myself, Mm. you know, because my heart was deceitfully wicked uh, and all those things. And I just say, when we go inside, it's, it's, it's hard work. Um, Yeah. You know, it's, it's, trying trying to talk to a five-year-old boy you know Mm -hmm. and and things like that and feel what he felt Mm -hmm. one more time Mm -hmm. so that it can be integrated back into our psyche and um that we can move forward doesn't none of that stuff heals you totally instantly it's it's all hard work but it's all worth it Mm -hmm. and it's better than the alternative, in my opinion. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, the alternative, I feel like, is yeah, is is just either acting, uh, <laughs> learning to be a good chameleon, or learning to fake it, kind of a thing, too. Um, and it's, and when you do that, when you are not yourself for long periods of time, that causes a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. We say it comes out sideways. Mm. Yeah. It's not going to go away. It's just going to come out sideways eventually in one way or another or maybe repeatedly yeah you know and even when it comes out it doesn't go away <laughs> so no or it becomes a problem for other people <laughs> all of the above yeah. yeah well um last thing i wanted to ask about this and and we talked through all this difficulty the difficulty of going through deconstruction how hard all this stuff is but for both of you what what is currently giving you hope what are those things that make you feel hopeful about life, future, everything? You know, I just, for, for me, I, I just am just enjoying like each day as it comes. And that doesn't mean that everything is easy. Um, but there's not that sense of um, worry or dread like, like there used to be for you know, am I, am I ever going to get this right? Am I ever going to do this right? Um, I think just being able to be present right here, right now in in whatever the circumstance is. I mean, even when, you know, Carl had his stroke 18 months ago, it was like, you know, 
let's just be present with this. Let's, what, it, what do we have to do today? Or what do we have to do in this, in this moment? Um, not being so concerned about like, is what I do in this very moment going to determine my eternal, you know, salvation or my or eternal torment? Um, but just, it's allowed me to just be present with whomever I'm with that, that being, you know, um, my children, my grandchildren with Carl, um, with my students, just wherever I am. Um, that has like been the, the greatest gift and what probably gives me the most joy is just, you know, being able to be present. Um, do, do I get sidetracked? Sure. We all do, but you know, for the most part, just not having to be, um, consumed with fear and worry. Um, it's, it's created this, um, part of me that can just love people so much more than I ever could. So that really gives me a lot of life, a lot of joy, a lot of hope. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I always considered one of my strengths was that I was very loyal. Um, I found out my loyalty was my need to be um, accepted. Accepted. Yeah. Um, my need to be um, trying to think of the right word because I've kind of moved past it. But um, I always felt like I was you now had thick glasses. I was skinny. I was small. Um, we were poor. You know, it felt like I was trying to overcome obstacles and I could just work harder or try harder. And I always wanted to be accepted. And, and I found that hard, part of because probably how I was processing and interacting with the world. Mm -hmm. It made me a good church planner because I could go into a, a community and meld into that community. And then people would come, they relate, you know, and so on. So I'd. I always wanted to be a part of a group, but then we ended up building my own group. Did we lose you? Are you still there? Yeah. So um, I think even in the deconstruction world, even out here in the desert, uh, I found some pain because of some of that. Mm -hmm. And, but I think, you know, going through that gave me the courage to say to for Laura and I to look each other in the eye and say, let's do our own thing. You know, let's just do our thing like we do. Um, and being secure and confident and, and more well uh, helps me just be okay with being alone, you know, or yeah. riding by myself, you know, or being by myself and things like that. I think those, those are the big things. And with our shadow work, what's really big for me, is you've probably never experienced this being married, but you're just going along, getting ready to go out or something or um, go downtown and get some, my grandpa used to say trading, go trading downtown, um, you know, go to town or something. And then you 
all of a sudden you're in a fight you don't know why and you're just reacting to each other and you're worse than me and then you get derogatory and you've probably never been through a fight like that but you always wonder where did that come from and why are we just reacting to everything we say and and through the shadow work we've we feel like we're we're better at responding now instead of reacting and so Laura looked at me the other day and she said, you seem kind of dysregulated. And that's, that's my trauma term. Wow. Trauma term? Oh, okay. I didn't know fiber was needed, but that's, hey, a, different, that's a different conversation than <laughs> you always respond that way or whatever, you know, um, or whatever I would say, you know, that just got worse and worse and worse the more we talked about it. Mm-hmm. Now, it, more than anything, we're able to breathe and mm-hmm. pause you know, and not have to win the argument or say, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And I don't know why I'm frustrated, you know, and things like that instead of, mm-hmm. so we're, those things aren't totally healed, but they're getting better. And I'm excited about yeah, that. Yeah. I would agree with you. I love that. That is beautiful. And, and that this has been a beautiful conversation that kind of encapsulates what you guys have done here in the book. Now, Carl, leaning forward, by Carl and Laura Forehand. It's going to be out August 15th. Mm-hmm. Um, you can buy it on Amazon and everywhere else. And so if people want to find you, I know they can find you on the Desert Sanctuary podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where's, where are some other places people can find you? For me, I'm on Facebook. Um, it's just my name, Laura Forehand. And then I'm also on in- Instagram, I don't do a ton with Instagram, but it's Mrs. Dot Forehand, I think, because I started it like for school. And then, you know, anyway, so that's, that's what I call her, too. <laughs> right. That's why I make him call me. Um, <laughs> but um, those are the two main places. And then, yeah, on Facebook, we have the Desert Sanctuary Facebook page. So that's also a great place. So private message us or whatever. Yeah. yeah the Desert Sanctuary podcast is on all the all the places, but it's also at the desert sanctuary.org. Um, you have a lot of Facebook pages, and I have a, pa- a blog on Patheos mm-hmm. that's called the desert sanctuary. Just, just Google our names or the desert sanctuary and you'll, you'll probably find us. Well, excellent. I am just going to say, I love the book. Uh, and I always just love talking to you guys. You are just wonderful as a couple and you're great as writers as well too. a writing team. Um, the book, yeah, Leaning Forward, comes out August 15th. Carl, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much you for bet. having us. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. I always appreciate my conversation with the forehands because, you know, I feel like during my childhood, I experienced a few backhands. These folks, jokingly, uh, these folks are the real deal, and I appreciate Carl's heart and his drive, and Laura's insight, and how they are able to kind of give this fuller picture of a scenario as they work together. It's kind of a beautiful thing. It's one of those things that I think that any good marriage is is kind of ends in, not ends in, but <laughs> any good marriage should kind of end up being more like a symphony, where both are playing, and they have a great example of that as a couple. So yeah, check out the book. Check out the book. Check out the book. But I'm here to just go ahead 
and tell all you folks, goodbye, get off the porch, we're done here. Get off my lawn. No. I am here to tell you guys that I appreciate you week after week. I appreciate you showing up when there are podcasts. <laughs> I appreciate you showing up when there are. But this whole thing, this podcast is a process cast, which is probably the best way for me to surmise my faith as it moves forward. It's a process. And I hope you have a similar process too. Now, before I let you out of here, before I let you go, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the word out. Also, hey, 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 the show may not come out always every week or every month. We're getting that worked out. But, but my writings continue at patheos.com. Just look for Snarky Faith if you want more of this so all i will say is thank you for being a part of the show week after week and as i release you into this wild wide world i send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark i'm out of here peace be with you This Choircast podcast is brought to you by There Once Were Orange Groves, an upcoming autofiction novel by David Giles. This is a novel about two siblings, Audrey and Jacob, who are both grieving the sudden passing of their father. This bad news arrives soon after Audrey moves out of California and Jacob returns home from college. This book explores how each of them deals with their grief as it colors their day-to-day -day lives. It's a novel about stories, finding beauty in the little things, and the places those moments inhabit. Available on Amazon on September 19th.